Okay. Good morning, everybody. So first of all, I have, to, I have to thank my wife for allowing me to take the slot of Tuesday morning for this week. So we're together for Yantif. You know, every Yantif is always there's always a concern. There's always a possibility of sort of losing focus of what the Yantif is, and I can't not not to say getting distracted with with getting ready for Yantif, but uh, to, to you know. For, for one's focus completely to be dedicated to all the peripheral things of getting ready for Yantif as opposed to like the soul of what the Yantif is about, it's a little bit of chaval, you know, to do that. Now it happens to be when it comes to the Yantif of, of Shavuos, the nature of the Yantif is such where there's just less peripheral things. You know what I'm saying? Like Pesach is much more of an undertaking, Sukkot is more of an undertaking, or Shem Kippur. So Shavuos is one of those Yantif where it's a little bit easier to at least, you know, there's less things to be distracted by. We could allow ourselves to, you know, focus a little bit more in terms of what the Yantif is about. But still, that's one of the strategies of the Yitzhar is to find things which are holy, which are good, but uh, not essential. And to sort of, and to sort of uh, lose our focus on those things and, uh, and take our attention away from what the Yantif really is. So let, let's talk for a few minutes about what, what Shavuos is and and a certain aspect, uh, you know, that I think it's important for us to remember when it comes to the Yantif of Shavuos. You know. So, you know, to appreciate Shavuos, you have to think of it in a much larger context of something that really began almost seven weeks ago with Pesach. Shavuos, even the way the Chumash describes it, Shavuos is a Yantif which comes as the culmination of those seven weeks which started on Pesach. Which means that there's a certain aspect of Shavuos that we might not notice right away, but when you see it from the context of Pesach, it becomes highlighted, which is as follows. Pesach is a yontif, as you know, if you can remember, it's a yontif that's very much focused on like the family unit. The family unit is essential when it comes to Pesach, for good or for worse. That's just the, the nature of Pesach itself. So it's very much around, around family. The, the Mesorah, the tradition, the history of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim and what the Jewish people have gone through over the years, that's transmitted to the next generation, not in the classroom setting on Pesach, in the family setting. That's what Pesach is. Now, Shavuos is really an extension of that. Whereas Pesach is a yontif that's focused on how to give over sort of the history of the Jewish people in terms of, you know, Yitzhiz Mitzrayim and Hashem sort of choosing us as his nation. Shavuos is, is taking that to the next level. Shavuos is about really the transmission of Torah itself, of Yiddishkeit, to the next generation. And just as the story of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim has to be given over with a family setting, with a family dynamic, so too it is Yiddishkeit itself, with the Yantav of Shuas also, it's primarily supposed to be given over in a family dynamic, parents to child. Now let me explain a little bit historically how that's true and, and, and halachically how that's true. So let's give a little little bit of background, you know. One of the 613, one of the mitzvahs is to to learn, to learn Torah, and to teach Torah to one's children, to give Torah over. Now that mitzvah of of educating, of teaching, is really primarily an obligation on the parents. It's it's an obligation on the parents. The parents have an obligation to give over Torah to their children, to give over Yiddishkeit to their children. That's the primary obligation. The fact that nowadays, and it's not just nowadays, it goes back for a long time, the, most of the education that takes place is in a school setting with people that are, you know, uh, 
you know, that's their job, they're teachers and they're educators and they're trained for that. That's, uh, that's relatively, it's a relatively new phenomenon. I'll give you a little bit of the history of, of where this comes from. <clears throat> Again, from the Torah, it's parents to children. During the times of the second base of Migdash, one of the Kohen Gadals, during the times of the second base of Migdash, his name was Rabbi Shua ben Hanani, Rabbi Shua ben Gamla. Rabbi Shua ben Gamla noticed and he saw that relying on the technical obligation of parents educating their children, it's working for some, but not working for everyone. First of all, the parents need to be educated themselves. They need to be able to have the time and the ability to educate their children, and not everyone can do that. So what Rabbi Shuban Gamlo began to set up is the educational system that we have, which is that at a certain age, you know, the kid's at home until a certain age, but at a certain age, when the kid's old enough, six, seven years old, whatever it is, they begin to go to more of a formal setting of a school system. And this concept of there being a school system in place, where you have people that their formal job and occupation is to teach children and to teach Torah, and with the proper background and, and, and training for such a thing, that was an institution that Yeshub and Gamla, this Kohen Gadol, instituted. Not only was it like just ni- a nice idea, that's actually a halacha now in Shulchan Aruch, that in order for there to be a city that, that, uh, that a Jewish person is able to live in and to function in, a Jewish community, by, its, by according to halachic standards, requires there to be a system in place to educate their children. You can't no longer rely on just parents themselves. That was the institution that Yeshua and Gamla set up and that carries through to this day. But even with that in place, it was never, it was never about exchanging the way of giving over Yiddishkeit in the family dynamic and replacing that with a formal educational system. The, the system of yeshivas and beis and schools, whatever that we have in place, in halacha, are seen as representatives and shulcha, messengers of the parents. They literally represent parents in educating their children. More than that, the halacha is, and we, we, we do this all the time without like knowing that we have to, but, but this is something that we do. Even before the age that a child is old enough to actually go to school and you know, sit in a classroom, the obligation is still on the parents to give the child the tools needed for, first of all, whatever level of knowledge they can handle at that age, and also to give them the proper tools to then go to school and be able to sit and, uh, and to learn from, from the teachers. So, I mean, for example, uh, you know, uh, like by an upshare, right? So a kid turns three years old, a boy turns three years old, that's when, that's when the parents, whatever it is, begin to teach Aleph base. What's the idea? The idea, part of the idea of that is that the kid's going to go to yeshiva soon and learn Aleph base properly. And he's going to learn how to read and he's going to, God willing, you know, be successful and turn into a well-adjusted, healthy adult. So why did, why did it, so why not just wait a little bit, the kid will go to kindergarten, whatever it is, and, and learn Aleph base. The answer is, and, and more than that, the Aleph base that the parents are teaching is not super structured in a, in a, in a way where, oh, the kid is able to come to yeshiva the next year, whatever it is, and he doesn't, he could skip that, pro- he still has to learn Aleph Beis properly. So why the parents, so what are we doing when the kid turns three? The answer is, it's more than, it's, it, it, it's symbolic, but more than that, what we're establishing is, is that, that the primary educators of the children are the parents. That's the primary education. Yes, we're not adept at it 100%, we're not trained with this, we don't have the time or the resources to, to be the primary educators going forward, but, 
the beginning, the foundation of Yiddishkeit is the family unit. It's the family unit. And even going forward, now that the kid has to go to yeshiva, the boy or girl has to go to school, and the, and the teachers are now coming, and principals and the whole system is in place. They are just finishing what we started. That's the idea. They're finishing what we started. And this, this, this concept of, the, of, of Yiddishkeit needing to be given over with that family dynamic, it goes back to Harsinai itself. It goes back to Harsinai itself. Harsinai was not just an environment in which the Rabbanu Shalom chose to give us Yiddishkeit. Harsinai was, was on some level a, 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 a family dynamic, a family structure. So for example, it says in Pasuk, Torah Tzivalanu Maisha, My Rasha Kihilas Yaakov. Maisha Rabbeinu commanded us the Torah, gave us the Torah from Hashem. It's an inheritance of the Jewish people. So my Rasha, which means inheritance, Chazal play with the word, and they say that you could also read the word Mu'urasa, which means engaged, to be married. The in, Har Sinai was a chuppah. There was a, that's, the mountain was held over held like Mamasha Chuppah. There was some, there was a, a representation, a, a, a symbolic situation set up in which the Torah wasn't given from just educate, you know, from, from, from teacher to disciple. That's not the way it was. It was given over with a, with a, with a dynamic of family, as if Hashem and Moshe uh, Rabbeinu, uh, like the father and mother, and they are educating the Jewish people, the children. It's set up in such a way. That's the way it has to be. So there's a few things we have to think about. That's sort of the introduction, just the concept. And again, that's why it's an extension of Pesach, if you remember, right? Because Pesach, again, is what is about giving over the story, the, the, our origin. Where does the Jewish people, where do, where do we come from? That's not something that we rely on a classroom to give over, primarily. It ultimately has to be given over from parents to children in a family setting. And so even though then, you know, all the details are then filled in by the educational system we have in place, but they are building off of the foundation that the family has to create. And so Pesach is about giving over the history of the Jewish, where we come from in a family setting, and Shavuos is then giving over Yiddishkeit in that family setting, but it has to be in that, in that dynamic. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, there's, there's, there's other mitzvahs that are the responsibility of parents, for example. So the halach is, let's say a, a boy needs a bris, right? Or a pig neben, or... You know, uh, or even something as, 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 you know, we don't think of it as religious in nature, but even like, you know, to teach a kid how to swim. You know, things like this, how to be able to function. So the halacha is that those are the responsibility of the parents. But if the parents, let's say, don't take care of it, then it moves to the responsibility of the community. If the community doesn't take care of those things, then the kid, when they're old enough, they have to do it themselves. But that, that, process of parent to community, to the child themselves, we only find that when it comes to Tzibrismila, Ben, and stuff like that. When it comes to Torah education, it's parent, and when it's not parent, it's just the, the kid has to learn it on his own. But it doesn't move to community. You know why? Because it's not that, the idea is not like, these, these people happen to be the closest in proximity to this kid's life, so they assume the responsibility first. If not, then we move the circle out. It's not just a matter of moving the circle out. There's something special about that way of giving over Yiddishkeit 
that's in the family unit, and you can't replace that with just a community. The community can come and sort of fill in the gaps and, and take the baton that the parents have started, but, but, but Yiddishkeit has to be given over with that family setting. So let's, let's, let's understand, first of all, why. What's unique? What's the difference between a Yiddishkeit that's, that's transmitted purely in a, in a uh, you know, educational system environment, fundamentally, versus a Yiddishkeit, which is a family unit, Misora, that then is being helped and modified and advanced and uh, expanded by an educational system. What's the fundamental difference between those, two, between those two ways? That's number one. Number two, why is it, everything's with Hashgacha Pradas, everything's divine providence. So why is it that with divine providence, it was specifically a Kohen Gadol, during the times of the second base of Migdash, to be the one to institute this idea that if the parents can't do it themselves, then they have to at least start it, and the educational system will be in, in place to continue that. But this idea of creating a, an educational system in which the, the foundation, which, lay, which is laid by the parents, is able to be carried over, why was that, with divine providence, established by a Kohen Gadol? That's question number two. Okay, so, you know, everyone knows there's an idea of chinuch, right? That even before a person is bar mitzvah or bar mitzvah, the parents have to, the kid has to be trained, they have to know how to do it. So the Gemara says in Sukkah an interesting thing, we're familiar with this, but the Gemara says that, that part of chinuch is also to teach a child Torah. You have to teach Torah also. You have, to, you have to train a child for Shabbos, you have to train a child for Kashras, so you have to train a child to be able to learn Torah. So says the Gemara, what's the age? When do you have to start, uh, you know, educating a child in Torah? So the Gemara says, as soon as the kid can talk, you have to teach him Chumash. So says the Gemara, and so what's, what psukim should be the first things taught? So this is an interesting question, because, ah, oh, if, if, if someone to ask us, what's the first psukim that a child should be educated in to introduce them to Yiddishkeit? That's a... Okay, so the, whatever the answer is, those are going to be the most fundamental, right? So the first pasuk the Gemara says is probably an obvious one. Shema Yisrael Shem Elkin Right, that pretty much sums up Yiddishkeit. God is one. We're the religion that established that truth that all there is is one God in heaven and earth. It's Avraham Avinu. Okay, I think that makes sense. The next pasuk the Gemara says that you have to teach your children at the earliest ages like I mentioned before, my Torah is Moshe, my Rosha Kilas Yaakov. If the Torah is uh, Moshe Rabbeinu commanded us the Torah, it's an inheritance for the Jewish people. Now that's a little bit funny. It's a beautiful pasuk, and it's nostalgic, you know. But it's only nostalgic because the Gemara says we have to teach it at a young age. Why is that so important? Like, what what is it about that? What does that pasuk convey? That's so fundamental. That's so fundamental. So the thing is like this, when you, when you think about that Pasuk, Torah Tziv Olanu Moshe, that Moshe commanded us the Torah, okay? Moirasha Kehilas Yaakov, the Torah, that Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu commanded us is, an inha- is a Moirasha for the Jewish people. What does the word Moirasha mean? So Moirasha, maybe it's, I don't know, the simple translation maybe is inheritance, but the word Moirasha means something different. A Moirasha means not an inheritance, but a marasha means something, a better English word would be a heritage. What's the difference between an inheritance and a heritage? 
So an inheritance is, you know, my great uncle Jack passed away and he had X amount of, uh, he had a lot of money. And so now I have an inheritance and it comes to me. An inheritance means something that comes from an earlier generation that's passed down to me, but it's completely mine. I don't have the responsibility of making sure that it passes on to the next generation. If I want to take the inheritance from great uncle Jack and spend it all on the racetrack, you know, it's a bad idea, but I can technically do it. It's not stealing from anyone, it's my money. So an inheritance is something that someone owned or someone had, and that person, and if, uncle, if great uncle Jack wanted to spend away his money before he passed away, he can do that too. No one's no one stopping him, it's, it's his right, it's his stuff. So an inheritance is something that you completely own, completely, you could do whatever you want with it. And it happens to be, uh, if, if the great uncle Jack passes away without the money being spent, it goes down to his, uh, you know, to his children, to, to the family. Okay, and then, the, and then the people receiving that inheritance can do what they want with it too, and so on and so forth. That's inheritance. A heritage is something else. A heritage is something else. A heritage is something that's also passed down from generation to generation. But the thing that's being passed down is bigger than any particular person in that chain. It's something that every single member of that chain is a part of. And when they receive that heritage, not only are they receiving it from a previous chain, part of it is that they are now responsible to make sure that it's transmitted to the next generation. For example, Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. Is that an inheritance of the Jewish people? Or is that a heritage of the Jewish people? In other words, let's say the Jewish people collectively in our times, God forbid this wouldn't happen, but let's say you know, somehow we take a vote of the entire Jewish people and say, you know what guys, do you want to just like give away the land? Just give it all away and we'll all just move to Uzbekistan and finish, start over again. If Eretz Yisrael, if the land of Israel is an inheritance, then you can do whatever you want with your inheritance. If, you know, if, if a family receives an inheritance from, a, from an ancestor, if all the siblings get together and decide that unanimously they want to spend the money or sell the piece of property, no one can stop them. So it, could we do that with the land of Israel? The answer is no. Why? Because the land of Israel is not an inheritance. It's a heritage. The land of Israel and our relationship to it is bigger than even all the Jews that live in our generation. It's bigger than them. It's bigger than us. It's something that we are a part of that's transmitted from generation to generation and every generation that receives it is responsible not only to receive it but to ensure that it's given over to the next generation properly. We don't have the right to get rid of it. You can't get rid of, an, of a heritage. You can get rid of an inheritance. The word for in, inheritance that you can get rid of, that's called Yerusha. But the word for a heritage that you are a part of that's bigger than you but you have to see yourself as a chain to receive that heritage. And then part of that is your responsibility to give it over intact to the next generation and to empower them to see themselves as part of that heritage. The word for that is my Russia. That's the word my Russia. Tyrat Sivalanu Maisha, my Russia Kilas Yaakov, is a fundamental Pasuk in understanding what Yiddishkeit is. That Pasuk is broken down into two parts. Tarot Sivalana Maisha, Maisha tells us the mitzvahs. Okay. That's called an educational system. Now, you need that. You need a Maisha Rabbeinu that knows a lot to be able to teach disciples in a proper way. 
But then the Pasuk then explains, and what is it that Moshe Rabbeinu is teaching us? Meirasha kils Yaakov. It's a heritage for the Jewish people. It's something that is not owned by any one person. It's not something that can be, that can be, uh, you know, sold. It's not something that can be spent. It's something that you are a part of. And you, as a part of the Jewish people, are responsible to embody and to embrace that heritage and to be able to do the best you can to give that over, that heritage over to the people under your influence, just like Amayesha Rabbeinu, whether it be children, whether it be family members, whether it be friends, whether it be yourself, to give that heritage over to everyone that you can give it to. And at the same time, to make sure that when you're giving that over, you're giving it over with the empowerment for the person receiving it also to see it as a heritage. That's what a Mirasha is. This is why that Pasuk is so fundamental that that's the first Pasuk we teach a child. Of course we teach that. That's, that's, that's what Yiddishkeit is. It sums up what Yiddishkeit is. But that's, that's the material of Yiddishkeit. That's the, that's the education of Yiddishkeit. Everything else is commentary. But what is that education that I'm trying to give over? The answer is, it's That's what's so fundamental about Yiddishkeit being given over with a mindset of family versus Yiddishkeit being given over with a mindset of just a system of education. A system of education could be is phenomenal and is phenomenal in terms of giving over education. And, and, and the educational system, for the most part, are, they do a better job than we would as parents if it was just all completely up to us. But they have to be seen, though, as building off of the foundation that we do as a family unit. Why? Because the family unit is the unit that's, all, that's, that's the only way, that's, I shouldn't say the only way, but it's, it's predisposed and, pre, and, and inclined to be able, if the family so chooses, to give over this idea and this, this way of thinking that Yiddishkeit is a Meirasha. It's not something that we're doing because this is what we do. This is something that we are a part of, and I've received it from my ancestors, and I feel privileged and, and empowered by that, and I feel a responsibility to make sure that when I'm giving it over to the people under my charge and under my influence, it retains its identity, its authentic nature, and you feel empowered to carry that on. That's, and that's something that's very difficult to give over unless the student and the, and the teacher are seeing themselves as if it's parent and child. That, that, that's, that's fundamentally where it's coming from. I'll give you an example, you know, everyone knows like this time, this time of the year, so there's a very old minig to learn Perkyavos, right, Perkyavos. So it's interesting because it's a funny name, Perkyavos, right? Like teachings of the fathers, ethics of the fathers. It's not about our fathers or about our mothers. It's about our Rebbein. So how does it start? Moshe Kibbal Torah from Sinai. Moshe receives the Torah from Sinai. Gives it over to Yishuv Anun. Yishuv Anun gives it over to the elders. And the elders give it over to the prophets. And the prophets ultimately transmit the Torah during the times of the second base of Migdash. That's how leadership chain goes. Ultimately to the Anshei Knesset Gdol, the men of the great assembly, the leadership of the Jewish people during the times of the second temple, and so on and so forth. Those are not our ancestors. I mean, be like great uncles and so on, but like that, that, that's not Pirkei Avos. It should be called Pirkei Rabbeseinu. 
The answer is because what Pirkei Avos is trying to convey is this process that the educational, the Misora, is, it's a Morasha. It's a Morasha. It's a heritage. And that's, and that's something that even if one is receiving from Mizrabeim, but the Rebbe or the Mora has to be conscious of this, of this mission of not just giving over knowledge or even inspirational knowledge, but it's about giving over a heritage. It's giving over something that they've received and charging their disciples with carrying that over, with, see, with the disciples seeing themselves as, as, as something much bigger than just people that now are more knowledgeable. You are redefined as a carrier of this Moirasha that started from Moshe Rabbeinu and will lead ultimately to Mashiach. And a, and a person realizing that and being, give, and being told that and feeling that from their educators and from their parents or from the people that influence them, that's a whole different thing because then the, the child or the person is being raised, is being elevated from being just a kid that's being given education to altogether something else. I am now part of a much bigger entity called the Jewish people. And that's something that Pirkei Avos is describing is that our, 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 our teachers of old, they saw themselves as parents. So for example, in Elyonavi, right? Elyonavi is like the, the, the classic example of the Rebbe that just is always a Rebbe, right? So, I mean, Elyonavi lived at a time and then, but then he didn't die, just goes to Shemaim. And whenever a person needs secrets of Torah, deep ideas that can't be transmitted or, or explained by anyone, Elyonavi is always there to answer our questions and to solve, you know, to solve all the mysteries. That's Elyonavi. When Elyonavi went up to heaven, it was in front of his great student, Elisha, who became a Navi. You know what Elisha, what was the words Elisha said in sort of, you can't say mourning because his Rebbe didn't die, but in sort of, uh, you know, bemoaning the fact that he's no longer going to be able to have clear contact with his Rebbe anymore. You know what the sentence was? And this sums up Avi, Avi. Oh, you just did this. Avi, Avi, Rachel Yisrael. That's exactly what it is, because that's the difference. He didn't say Rebbe, Rebbe. He said Avi, Avi, my father, my father. Because that's the education that Elyonavi gave to his student. It was an education of, yeah, you're not my disciple. You're not my student that I have a lot of knowledge and I'm giving you a piece of it. You, you are now, you are part of this Myrasha. And by the way, I'll tell you something. If you see yourself as part of a Myrasha, this heritage, then it could be the student will be greater than the Rebbe. Because if, I'm, if, I'm, if it's a matter of like, like in a relay race, right? If I'm passing the baton over to the next person, the next person could be a better runner than me. Could be. It doesn't work. The fact that I'm the one passing the baton over to him doesn't mean that I'm a better runner. It just means I preceded him. It means I was runner number one, he's runner number two. But runner number two can be faster than runner number one. When you're seeing yourself as a Moirasha, as someone that you are charged with giving over the heritage to whoever is under your influence, then by the way, whoever's under your influence might be better than you. It might have a bigger neshama than you. It might, be, it might accomplish more with that baton than you did. And that's okay. That's okay. Whereas it's a matter, if it's a matter of education, then by its very definition, a disciple cannot know more than the master. When Elisha, when Elyonavi was leaving, was about to leave, you know, Elisha asked him for a final bracha. And what was the bracha that Elisha required, requested? He said, Pishnayim Baruchach. 
I want to be twice as great as you. And Elinovi says, if at the moment I leave, you're there and you're able to witness it, I grant you that blessing will be twice as great as you. Let me ask you something. How in the world can I, can Elinovi make someone twice as great as him? You want to say that Elinovi is just like davening? That Hashem should bless you with twice as much strength as me? That's not what Elisha asked. Elisha asked for a bracha. A bracha means that I have something and I'm giving it over to you. How could I give you more than I have? How could Eliyahu give Elisha twice as much as Eliyahu had? The answer is, if it's a matter of education, Rebbe student, impossible. A Rebbe can't give a student more than he knows, or more than she knows, it's impossible. But if it's a matter of passing the baton, if it's a matter of my Russia, or it's a matter of giving you the tools that you need to find your own strength and your ability to run this relay race, and that's my responsibility, my responsibility is to give you the baton and to give you the tools that you need and the confidence that you need to run with that baton. You could be your better runner than me. And that's what Elinavi, the Avi, Avi, Rech of Yisrael, that's what Elinavi gave over to Elisha. He gave over that baton and he gave him the confidence and the tools to unleash his own kaiches. And, El- and Elisha's kaiches were twice as big as Elio. That's what that means. This is why, this is why the educational system that was set up it had to be made by a kind other. It had to be by a kind other. Why? Because the educational system that was set up had to be in such a way where it doesn't lose its focus in that it's just building and expanding on what's being established by parents. And that's exactly what a kind other is. When Aaron, 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 Aaron was the first kind other, right? When he's about to pass away, so it's all the way at the end of Sefer Bamidbar, when he's about to pass away, there's the one of the most like. Um, it's not heartbreaking because it's, it's a beautiful scene, but it's, one, it's, it's, a, it's a very emotional scene in Chumash of where Maisha, Maisha is, is escorting Aaron to the place of his death, the Har Har, right? And he brings Elazar, Aaron's uh, older son at that time, to the mountaintop as well. And the Pasuk describes, and Chazal go into more detail about this, how th- before, it wasn't like Aaron passed away and then, ah, oh, Elazar, his son, is now appointed the next Kohen Gadol. What happened was, it was a little bit of a miraculous thing, is that Moshe Rabbeinu took off the, the eight articles of clothing as the Kohen Gadol. Where's the Shemayin of Agadol, the special big day Kuhuna Gadola. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu took off an article of clothing off of Aaron and dressed his son Elazar with it. Now it was miraculous, right, because as he's taking off the outer clothing, right, it would, it would be, his son would be putting it on backwards. But miraculously, it sort of, you know, somehow was put on correctly. But there was that scene, that moment of what? Of, of Aaron's clothing being transferred to Elazar's clothing while Aaron is still there. And Moshe Rabbeinu sees this. And Chazal said that he was so moved by this moment of Aaron seeing with his own two eyes how the baton is being passed over to his son. Moshe Rabbeinu Davin, that he should be able to see that as well. And he was granted that as well. To be able to have a death like that. To be able to see the baton passed over. But you see that's what a coin Gadol is. The Kohen Gadol is not, listen, there's a Kahanim. The greatest of all the Kahanim is the new Kohen Gadol. It's not like that. The new Kohen Gadol is Tacht of Mibanov, is seen as just the next Aaron. It's, the, it's a heritage. It's a heritage. Kahuna Gadol is a heritage. It began with Aaron, and that title that's called Kohen Gadol is transmitted to his son. And now his son is the new Aaron. 
and his son to the next Kohen Gadol becomes the new Aaron. It's always just that baton being passed over. Therefore, it's the Kohen Gadol that appreciates this idea so well that education primarily is a morasha, it's a baton being passed to the next child, to the next generation, with the empowerment for them to see themselves as the next Kohen Gadol. That's a person who appreciates what real morasha is about, he could establish an educational system that's not going to usurp that. If you had anyone else set up an educational system, it would just be trying to replace parents. But that's not what the Kohen Gadol does. The Kohen Gadol appreciates that concept of a Marusha that needs to be passed down from parent to child in a family dynamic, in a family setting. And so this is our responsibility, not only as people part of a family, but just we understand, just like Pirkei Avos, just like Pirkei Avos, it, they're, not, they're not biologically our parents. But to give over Yiddishkeit, to inspire others, it always has to be in that way. And by the way, you know, I've mentioned this to some of the guys sometimes, there is no such thing as two Jews when they're talking about you know, Yiddishkeit and, and things that are real. There's no such thing as, as, as an even. There's no such thing as two Jews that are even. It's always, it's always Rebbe Talmud. It's always Mora Talmud. It's always giver and receiver, even if it's two friends. So in one conversation at this moment, this friend is the mashpia, and the other one is receiving, and the next conversation, it'll be reversed. But it's always, it's always in that way. So this idea of passing the baton, of this Mo Rosh Akilz Yaakov, it's not something that it could only be parent to child. It could only be if a person's in a position of, uh, of education. That's not what the point is. Anytime you interact with another Jew, you have an opportunity of passing that baton. Are you going to somehow make the conversation meaningful and deep and significant and try to give over and to try to send, give over a message of empowerment where you're part of something? And this is something that's so vital, especially for children to, to, to be raised with this mentality is that they're not, I mean, it's a cliche, but that they're not the same as a guy. We're not the same. And we're not the same not just because we do different things, we act differently. That, that, and that responsibility of what? Of, of being able to carry over that torch, that flame of, of embodying that Moirasha Kilsyakov, that's, that's an unbelievable, powerful experience to give over. And it's a cliche, but I'm just speaking to myself. It is a true cliche. It starts with us. It starts with a the person themselves embodying that and really feeling that, and then automatically in osmosis it'll be given over to people around your sphere of influence. But it also is a matter of, of, of saying it, even if you don't really believe it yet. But to say it, and to try to, to try to speak like that, speak like that to your family, and to speak like that to people that you, that you have a chance to speak to. It, it, it's so, it's so even, even by the way, even if it's non-Jews, even if a person is somehow in a position where they're speaking to non-Jews, i give you an example. Someone, someone came to me yesterday. You know, he was going to work yesterday. And someone, someone in, in, uh, in the business he was working, and a non-Jewish person, an older gentleman, he passed away. And a lot of the co-workers were shaken up by that. So he felt, as the boss, he's responsible to sort of like say something to, but he doesn't know what to do. So I, I told him, you have an unbelievable opportunity over there. Because... Again, you're not going to start speaking too much religion, you know, get in trouble with that stuff, but, but you're a religious Jew. They all know it. It's not a, you can wear a baseball cap. It doesn't help. Everyone knows that, uh, that you're a religious Jew. And so now you have an opportunity of really 
of really giving over something. And even if they're not part of this Marasha, non-Jews are not part of this, of this heritage, but at least to convey to them this idea that we have a heritage of conveying to them that the body is just a, a vehicle for the soul and who a person really is is something that you can't see with your physical eyes and who the person really is continues on and, and life is bigger than we just see. There's microwaves and radio waves going through the room even though you can't see it. Things that we take for granted that are unbelievable, earth-shattering concepts to people that don't have this Russia. And so it, 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 it's, it's our duty to embody that Russia for ourselves and to be proud of it, and to be proud of it and to appreciate what we have. We have no idea. The whole world is is desperate for meaning and living a life of depth and of significance to know that when they wake up in the morning it makes a difference. That's something that we all know for ourselves but we just take it for granted. But if we could embrace that Russia mentality of what, of like, it makes a difference. I'm, I'm part of that, I'm carrying that baton. And if I drop that baton, guess what? Then it's dropped. And if I drop it, then I have to pick it back up. Like, I, I, I matter, that's a huge deal. That's a very big deal. That's what the Yantav of Shavuos is really about. So, again, like I started with, it's a Yantav where we can get lost in the side stuff. And the side stuff are, are holy and beautiful, whether it be getting ready, you know, uh, all, all the stuff when it comes to the meals of, of, of the Suda, or even, uh, you know, uh, allowing your husband to rest a little bit on the shower this afternoon because he's going to have to stay up all night learning. And they learn. They learn all night. I'm going to make sure. Okay, so you know, I'm not going to... There'll be some food and like, you know pretzels and stuff to nash on, but I'm going to make sure they're going to be learning all night. So you don't have to worry about that. But all these things that we do to remember that, that you are charged with that my Russia. And that's, that's, that's a powerful, powerful thing. So let me just, uh, I'll end with a quick story. I, 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 I honestly don't remember if I've said this before. So if I, if I have, I apologize. I mentioned it, I mentioned it in a recent year. But it's a story that's from Chazal already. It goes back to the Medrash. Medrash has the following story, and it's about the Pasuk of Teret Sivalanu Maisha. So Medrash says that um, one of the great Tanoim, one of the great Tanoim was Rabbianai. So the says that Rabbianai said that that Pasuk of Teret Sivalanu Maisha, he always knew from the time that he's a kid, but he never really understood what the Pasuk is trying to say until a certain Amaretz, a certain ignorant person, taught him that Pasuk properly. So it's the Maisha. So he said the Maisha was that he was once walking down the street Rabbianai, and he notices, coming the other way, a person that's dressed like a Rosh Hashiva, Talmud Chachim. In those days, in, in the Gemara's times, in the Mishnah's times, there were certain clothing that were designated for a Talmud Chachim, for a rabbi. And if you weren't a rabbi of, of a certain stature, you wouldn't be allowed to wear such clothing. You wore such clothing, it came with certain perks. In other words, not just like, uh, you know, you look more dignified, but being officially a Rav or Talmud Chachim meant that... Uh, You'd have to pay as high taxes. There were certain financial gains to be that. So Rabbiani is walking down the street and he sees this person walking towards him looking like a Tamil Chacham. So Rabbiani says, Oh, Rabbi, okay, you know, obviously you're new to town, you're a guest over here. If you maybe come to my house, we'll have a meal together. So, fine. So he comes in, sits down. You can imagine it's not just Rabbiani, it's all the students, it's the whole thing. And so Rabbiani says, This visiting uh, Rosh Hashiva says, Maybe you want to share a Torah with everyone. I don't know anything. Maybe you want to you wanna share a Mishnah? No, I don't know. I don't know Mishnahs. How about a Pasuk and Chomish? No, the guy's a complete ignoramus. So much so that it gets to the point of benching, and Rabbi tries to honor him with leading benching. The guy doesn't know how to lead benching. The guy's a complete ignoramus. 
So the Narviyana is getting upset. And he says to this person, he says, not only are you a liar, but you're a ganav. You're a ganav. Because you're walking around like a tamachacham, which means that you're getting tax breaks. You're not getting, uh, you know, you're not getting, you know, enrolled in the army. You're a ganav. So then Amaris begins to get upset back. And he says, you call me a ganav? You know what? You're a ganav. He says, I'm a ganav. I'm a ganav. You ate my food. <laughs> How am I a ganav? So, yeah, so the person says, you know what? Because there is one Pasuk I remember now. From Yeshiva, one Pasuk. Tarot Sivalonamaisha, my Russia Kilas Yaakov. Tarot is the heritage of the Jewish people. And the person said to Yanni, he said, Kihilas Yanai ain't Sivka. It doesn't say that it's a heritage for the community of Yanai. It's the heritage for the whole Jewish people. And if I wasn't educated, it's because you're holding my, her- my, my heritage. You're the guy, not me. It's your responsibility to teach me. And if I don't know, it's on you. And Rabbi said, I never chat the pshat in that pasuk until this person told me. That's the nice, it's a mamashah. It's an amazing story. Because that's exactly, that's exactly it. And this, this Amarit was wrong for <laughs> pretending to be, that's obviously not right. But the message that he gave over, which is like, this is mine. It's as much mine as it is yours. And those that have, have a responsibility to share with those that don't. Because even those that don't have the education, it's still their mirasha, it's their heritage. And it's not something that's up to us to decide whether we're gonna share it or not. It's, it's not an educational system where it's just a matter of like, whether you want to or not. This is a mirasha. You're on the relay race. You have no choice but to pass the baton. And that's our responsibility and that's our greatest gift to be able to be part of that chain. So Hashem should bless each and every one of us with that confidence and that strength to be part of the Marash. And if Hashem made you a Jew, or if you converted to be a Jew, it means that you're in that relay race and you have the strength, not just the responsibility, but you have the gifts and the tools to do that. And no one knows how to do it more than you, for your particular family, for your particular sphere of influence, for your friends, for yourself, to be able to try to embrace that, that truth and that mission of being part of the Jewish people, part of the Jewish people. And as Jewish people change and we shift, our clothing changes and our language changes and some of the cultural things change, but the Mirasha does not change. And if you took, it's an amazing thing, I know I'm going, I'm going late, but just one more minute. I heard this from, from Rabbi Jacobson. Rabbi Jacobson, I remember years ago I heard a shmuz from him. And it was just like, he's a much better speaker and like storyteller than me, so I'm not going to try to try to do it. But just one thing that he said was just like such a, such a great like visual. He said, if you took like a time machine or whatever, and you took like Caesar, right? And you brought him back from the dead, you know? And you, and you brought him to Rome, current day Rome. It would be completely alien to him. They're not speaking Latin. They're not wearing togas. There's no Roman, they don't believe in the Roman deities. It's, a, it's, it, it's called Rome, but it's completely, completely different. No, and that's true for Caesar, and you name it. Any other person, any other great uh, personality in world history, you took a time machine, brought them to their country, current day, a completely different country. One exception, it's the Jewish people. You took Moshe Rabbeinu, or you took David Melech with a time machine, and you brought him to Yerushalayim, Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem Shalom. Yeah, so you might not recognize, okay, everyone's wearing suits or whatever, so the clothing are different. But you know what David Melch would say? You know what's getting late? Is there, do you people still Davim Mincha? We still Davim Mincha. There's a shul in every corner, he's Davim Mincha, of course. David Melch would say, you know, I just came back to life today. I didn't have a chance to put on tefillin. 
do you, do you know Tfilin? Tfilin. Uh, you tell me I don't know what Tfilin. Of course I know Tfilin. Everything is the same. That's an unbelievable power. Like that's, if you think about that, you can almost like go crazy with that thought. That with all the changes, nothing has changed. It's, 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 it's an amazing, amazing, it, it's the greatest miracle of all time. That my Russia, for it to still be intact and for that we're charged and, and given the opportunity to, and we're guaranteed to be successful to carry that over. It's an amazing thing. I show Shabbos each and every one of you the strength to do that, to bring over that my Russia. We should be to have a Yantav together. All right,